In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the text that we have from the prophet Jeremiah this morning, we hear a somewhat familiar phrase, at least one that has a very biblical ring to it, which makes it sound familiar even if we haven't heard it before. Um, But seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is a phrase coming from Jeremiah, a prophet of the Hebrew people, a widely recognized authority in their system of religious and political life, telling his people and oppressed people, people in this case under exile, having been taken into captivity by the Babylonians as part of the spoils of war and conquest, telling them, seek the welfare of the city to which you have gone into exile, which is to say, Even though this is an absolute disaster, one which has totally disrupted your life as a people, one from which you will likely never recover the fullness of what life was like before this, there's still something to be made of this situation, should you choose essentially to do something like, we might say, bloom where you're planted. And if you do, he says, you will find that their welfare is your own. This is not the first time that this group of people has had exile as part of their story. This people remembers annually, in fact, the stories of their ancestors being delivered from another captivity in Egypt and the way God was with them and provided for them a way of liberation from it. And now here they find themselves in another captivity unsure of who they are as a people, how they can continue to be a people, being so uprooted from their home. As the psalm says, how are we supposed to sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? It's a beautiful one. Um, if If it is a beautiful line, this seek the welfare of the city, it's also kind of a troubling statement. And maybe it reads as a little bit too calculated or overly practical if read on its own, like is it really just a matter of saying, yeah, we probably uh, need to just sit tight and make the best of this whole thing until something else happens. But making the best of a situation like this is also exactly what so many ordinary people do around the world every single day, even today. Most of us are not responsible for the political realities which shaped where we were when we were born or where we were forced to go during our lives, which governments we were citizens of or subject to, which borders we could or couldn't cross because of our papers of origin, where we have roots and where those roots have been dug up and must find a way to make themselves replanted someplace else. And if we have been displaced because of something as intense or traumatic as war and violence, or because of something less intense and still traumatic as poverty or lack of opportunity in our place of origin, we have something in common with the people in this story, which is that we have found ourselves living in a land other than our own, needing to make sense of where God is to be found in the midst of it. Throughout Christian history, there has also been a sense of spiritual displacement, 
of exile of a different kind, which has made people long for a different world than the one that they see around them, a world shaped by the teaching and vision of Jesus, one turned upside down in so many ways from the way that things seem that they must be. For anyone truly moved by stories of the kingdom of which Christ speaks to his first followers, there is always a hint of this exile or homelessness, a kind of transience or feeling of displacement within the very situation one finds oneself, a world which, for the Christian, cannot ultimately be all that there is. In all of this, there are a couple of very important theological points present and worth noting. One is that texts like this, including this one from Jeremiah, assume God's presence and faithfulness even in the midst of catastrophe. It's not that God has simply abandoned them into the hands of this terrible situation, nor is it so simply that God has done this to them. Rather, there's a more subtle recognition that whatever is happening here is happening to us. God in God's sovereignty is with us. Even if in some sense we recognize that our own faithfulness has brought us to this place, has contributed to that sense of exile, regardless of that, God is still with us. Which goes to the other point, which is that not only is God with God's people, but God is always with, always remains on the side of the oppressed. Wherever they are to be found, wherever there are the least of these, whatever the circumstances in which they find themselves, which are beyond their control, God will be there too. Christ will be found walking among them. So it is this we must keep in mind when the prophet says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, get married, have children, and seek the welfare of the city in which you are exiled and pray for it. It's not as simple as, well, here we are, we better make the best of this. It's the deeper truth that even in this utterly unjust situation, even subject to these powers, beyond our control, largely their indifference toward us. We believe that God is present, that God inheres in our story, that as a people, if we live faithfully as the people we have been called to be, even in the strangeness of this land, we will be made aware of that divine presence and faithfulness ever more fully. It begins with us, and between us, despite what is happening around us. And as we live faithfully in our little ways, we start to shape a world differently, built on and motivated by different assumptions and values than this one. And if we are unsettled spiritually in what can feel like a strange land, it is for the best, because we have seen a glimpse of the world as it should be, beyond the one that simply is. And thus, if we feel this way, we are in good company with our ancestors in faith and with our Lord. Amen.